With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone, at Dino Game Theory, and this is episode 14. Let's roll. So today, I, you know, we are, we are nearing the end. I mean, this is a Dynasty football podcast. Y'all know that. But uh, we are now at the point where if you're in like a 12-team league or 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 something like that where you're you're starting to come down to the end. You probably only have two more weeks. If you're in a 10 team league that plays playoffs 15, 16, you still only have three weeks left. You definitely know if you can make a run or not. So it is definitely time to uh to, to identify that. We'll talk a little bit about that with our guest today. My guest today is actually, you know, someone that I've I've uh, jousted with on on uh on Twitter a lot and we just got we just got talking here uh a minute ago and I think it's. I think there's a little bit of a click happening here. I mean, we are absolutely jiving here, so I think it's going to be a great show. But without further ado, let me bring on my guest so we can get right to it. Uh, my guest today is Jake Trowbridge, um, and Jake, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and uh, a little bit about what you're up to? Yeah, Scott, man, thanks for having me on. First of all, this is awesome uh, to get to be here, and uh, as you say, joust. But now we get to do it. You know, verbally, we know we never get to do that. So very cool. Um, you can find me on Twitter at my name. Uh, you can find our podcast, Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football, on Twitter at Drinking Fantasy. Yeah, it's funny, man. You know, I told Jake before the show, I was like, this drinking and fantasy uh, sort of idea. What what a novel idea! I didn't know I had to announce to the audience that I was drinking every single podcast. You know, they actually tell everybody what they're drinking. It's unbelievable. But me, I just drink and just thought you knew it, you know, uh, the listener. Now Jake knows it too. And he, was, he felt right at home when I told him that, you know, I'm also completely shit-faced when I do these pots. It really opened up my comfort level, I got to say, when that was announced. See, and the announcement of it just made me feel that much more comfortable. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Bingo. So in, in drinking and fantasy football podcast um, respects, we're going to go ahead and share what you're drinking. So tell us what you're drinking today, Jake. I love it. I am drinking a goddamn beer. This is a Kolsch Ale from Dead Bird Brewing in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as I am a Wisconsinite, if you haven't heard it in my voice already. Wow, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. Well, I'm here in the central coast of California. You know, I am, uh, you know, I've got the, the, the pinky up. When I'm drinking, you know what I'm saying? I'm a little aristocratic over here. I'm, you know, no, uh, no, um, what do they call them? Bratwurst, right? We've got, oh, you know, sure. you've got the bratwurst going with the beer. I've got like, you know, California fusion street tacos. You know what I'm saying? It's totally different out here. You know, I've got the palm trees, the sunshine. It's amazing. So I'm drinking wine. I'm always drinking wine. 
So I'm drinking Central Coast wine. In this particular case, I'm drinking a Summerwood Syrah, you know, 2000 and whatever the hell it is. doesn't matter. It's local. Uh, everything is, is right here. We've got 300 wineries in the town that I live in. It's unbelievable. This is the heart of wine country. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose someday I'll probably uh, tell the listeners a little bit about where they can find the best wines out here. We'll do a little nice. uh, drinking episode. Maybe maybe I'll have Jake back on and we'll talk about beers because there's breweries and distilleries and all sorts of shit around me. Beautiful place. Although I think there's breweries like everywhere now, right? Like yeah, I don't I don't think it's any particular area gets to really claim breweries at this point. I'm pretty sure they've just stretched across the entire uh, continental United States here. I will say I'm not a wine guy, so I, I don't know shit about wine. Uh, I'm terrible. It gives me headaches so much. And also, I just don't, you know, I just have a dumb palate. So I'm like, I think beer is more my style. Well, I think I could win you over. You know, one thing that happens is when you drink, imagine drinking, you know, shitty uh, beer all the time. Like, you'd be like, yeah, I don't really like beer. It's just sort of shitty, you know, but you don't. You drink great beer. And so you get great beer. You can appreciate great beer. Same thing with wine. I mean, you know, you can go to the store and pick out the most expensive wine. It could be still shit wine. Let me just tell you. Let me just warn you. <laughs> um, however, I will say some of the best wines that are produced here, right here in, in the Central Coast, are sold very, very close to where you are. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll hit you up afterward, as a matter of fact, and and, and help you find them because you'll be you'll be happy I did. And who knows? Maybe I'll convert you just a little bit. I appreciate the attempt, at least. Thank you. I, I I can see there's going to be some reticence here, but we'll push through, folks, and we'll get Jake, <laughs> you know, drunk on the corner with a fucking wine bottle soon enough. I, if I find myself in that situation, I won't be unhappy. So <laughs> I, I say, let's try it. Perfect. Perfect. So, you know, he, here's the thing. it's We're recording this on a Tuesday night, but by the time this pod gets up and, and you know, uh, Kanan edits out all my nonsense, you know, because he really should leave the nonsense in because that's what people want to hear is just me fumble around like an idiot. But um, but once he once he edits all that out, it's probably going to be either Wednesday night or Thursday. And Thursday is Thanksgiving. So to all the people happily listening, you, you know, normally people are on the way to work. They're listening at 1.5 speed today. They're around their, their relatives. It's Thursday. And they got this shit on point five. Hold on. Listen to a podcast. It's going to be another minute till I'm done. It's going to take two and a half hours. Hold on. No, Grandpa, leave me alone. Four more minutes. I've just got, to, got this podcast I'm listening to. What do you think, right? Absolutely. They're just waiting for this thing to be done. Yes, absolutely. CD Lamb. <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking of Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving, all you folks out there sitting in your house alone eating cranberry sauce. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got the pandemic. We're not allowed to see our relatives. No, see your relatives. Listen, guidelines are guidelines. Go have fun with your family. When you're having fun with your family, Jake, what's what's the best thing on Thanksgiving? What are you what are you like looking forward to right now? Every single year. I have to go through this thing internally where I, do I tell people that I don't really like traditional Thanksgiving food that much or do I keep that a secret for a while longer? I just I don't love Thanksgiving foods usually. Now, a well-done turkey, I don't mean overcooked. I just mean a well-made turkey, a yes. well-basted, moist, etc., or maybe a deep-fried. That's the way to go, uh, I, I hear. I won't shake a, a stick at that. Um, that's fine. That's great. But it's really, it's of all the birds, it's kind of the trashiest bird, I think, no uh, that we doubt. eat. No um, doubt. 
<laughs> so, you know, I don't love turkey. I eat turkey, of course. Uh, mashed potatoes, all those things are fine. The only thing I really, really like, green bean casserole. And it's kind go. of a regional thing. Just depends. People make it different styles, different ways. I don't care. You know, any way you want to slice it. If it gets those crispy little onions, though, on top, that's going to be the winner for me. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I, you know, it's really the accoutrement because that turkey is it's average at best. Even when it's great, it's like still a fucking turkey. I don't, I'm not interested. But I'll eat it and I'll chow it down and, you know, it'll be the in-laws that cook it this this year. And I'm sure it'll be outstanding and I can't wait to do it. But you're 100% right. Traditional Thanksgiving meals for me pass. By the time I'm the senior, you know, and, and I'm the oldest one and I'm in control, it ain't going to be turkeys, man. We're going to do like <laughs> prime ribs or ribeyes or just something fucking dope. Because it's a good day to feast. It doesn't mean you have to eat what the fucking pilgrims ate. It just means you got to feast. So why eat what they were eating 400 years ago or some shit? Uh, that's, right? You know, eating rocks and stuff. You know, hey, put some fucking rocks in there. It's going to be good. Get out of here. Well, your initial statement before we even really dove into this about sitting alone in your house eating cranberry sauce. If that was not Thanksgiving during a pandemic, if some person out there is actually doing that you need to report them to the fbi immediately so yes. there's no way that person does not have a dead body in their cellar 100 percent. there's no question about it so with all that being said folks happy thanksgiving <laughs> you know there's there's another thing i mean i tell you you know i was i was looking for so i was ready to just grab jake and you know by the scruff of the shirt and shake the shit out of him and tell him listen pal you suck but then I was looking for a way to do it. And I checked on his Scott Fishbowl team to make fun of him. And it turns out he's 50th out of 1440. So out of 1,440 people, Mr. Jake is 50th. How the fuck did you do that, brother? Uh, honestly, I talked about this on my podcast recently. I got lucky. I'm just going to say it. I got lucky. I didn't have to go through the injuries that a lot of people did with those leagues. The only one that really stings me is George Kittle. But aside yeah. from Kittle, everybody else has been relatively healthy on my team. And honestly, I, I can't give myself too much of a pat on the back for that. And I lucked out a little bit with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. That connection has done very well. Uh, so they've been carrying my team in Kittle's absence. But it, just luck. Let's be honest. Just luck. There's definitely a little bit of luck. Look, I, I looked at your original draft. And I'm, this isn't to throw shade because actually, this take this as a compliment. And because when I looked at your original draft, I said, oh, shit, I got to be easy on because it looks like this is going to suck. Because, <laughs> listen, at, look, your first six picks are all good, but you lost George Kittle. So you went Kittle, Devonta Adams, Hopkins, JT, who's actually been a little bit of a problem. You know, it hasn't been great. Aaron Rodgers, Robert Woods. So, look, you hit everybody. Everybody was a hit um, except Kittle's hurt. Okay. And then, ouch, Darius Geis. Terrible. Unbelievable. I, I draft, I mean, I was into Darius, guys. I get sniped on Darius. I would have drafted him. I just couldn't, I, you know, get sniped. You know, Teddy Bridgewater, great pick because he's been anchoring your QB2 all year. He's been outstanding. And he's been efficient, too, which in Scott Fishboy, he needs to be, right? So yeah, those negative great. points for incompletions and God forbid an interception. <laughs> it's going to really set you return. back. Minus six for an interception return for a touchdown. So, yeah, absolutely. But then you went. And I don't even mean to do this out loud. I mean, if you want me to stop, I will. Keyshawn Vaughn, AJ Green, Sony Michelle. It's bad. <laughs> that that trio of names that you just announced could haunt my dreams for the next three years. They really could. Unbelievable. I'm looking at this going, oh, this poor guy. Like, I, I'll go easy on him. 
And I'm like looking for your name. I'm like he's fucking fiftieth. So the the lesson, as always, in any league ever, is you got to work your team. No team on draft day is done ever. Not once. Never ever. And so, what, what do you even remember? What your big pickup was, or a couple of them, or you got to have something that's just like working for you. I don't remember what the actual big pickups were aside from one person whose name I'm going to withhold just real briefly here. Because I do have to at least say the Keyshawn Vaughn thing. I mean, that was just the biggest whiff I've had in my life. I just assumed I bought into the hype or the anti-hype, I should say, for Ronald Jones. And they're going to need a pass catcher. And so safety. Ironically, I chose Keyshawn Vaughn based off of the premise of safety, uh, which obviously is the exact opposite of what he's proven to be. But the big... The big thing that I tried to go then with Darius Geis, I, I did handcuff Antonio Gibson, who you has did. been very, very good for me. I do have to call him out because it's – I don't think Darius Geis would have done as well for my team as Antonio Gibson is actually doing for my team. So yeah. big props to him. But I – you know, I did pick up James Robinson bingo. in that first week, and that's the one that's really doing it. Yeah, bingo. So, I mean, you're rolling out there with JT, Gibson, James Robinson – and then Devonte Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Robert Woods with Rodgers and Bridgewater and some of Kittle. Where have you gone for, for tight end? Did you pick up uh, some of the – you must have streamed some tight ends. Not that you maybe remember, but you know, maybe a Dalton Schultz or a Richard Rodgers or stuff like that along the way. I'm not sure. Yeah, in fact, I just started Richard Rodgers last week. That worked out very well for me. Um, Yeah, basically, that's what you're looking for is just who can at least get me four targets and possibly a touchdown. When you're in that situation, when you went all in on Kittle like I did, that's what you're looking for. So I picked up Moelle Cox, who was okay for a couple of weeks. Just It's it's all Band-Aids at that position right now. I'm just yearning for Kittle to make an announcement that he's coming back to start. Uh, but I'm, I'm really holding my breath there. Yeah, otherwise, I, I don't even know, honestly, who I've started most weeks. It's unbelievable because let me let me just tell you, let me just go through my draft. Because, you know, I don't know, I've, I've never done this on the air, so it's not like I'm fucking grandstanding or anything. But, you know, my team is like 300th out of 1440, so I'm not far behind. I'm, uh, I'm like... Uh, eight and three or whatever. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's good. But it, 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 if to hear this, you'd almost think it's dominant. Uh, I went Alvin Kamara, Miles Sanders, Chris Godwin, Zach Ertz, which is hurt, Juju, Cousins, Keenan Allen, who has been amazing. That's great. Yeah. Keenan Allen has been amazing. Uh, Tannehill, Zach Moss, a little bit of a miss, but he's was hurt. Drew Locke, so I've got the three three quarterbacks, Cousins, Tannehill, Lock, Lock. Obviously, it's fucking garbage, hot garbage. Yeah, um, that's unfortunate. It really is. But what are you going to do? I mean, I felt great about picking him in the tenth round. Um, T.J. Hawkinson, which has been great, and then C.D. Lamb, Jalen Rager, Daryl Henderson, Mims, McFarland, Bri- uh, Brian Edwards, Randall Cobb, Lynn Bowden. And then it gets worse. But, you know, of course it gets worse, right? But it's like I just feel like it was like it was so good. And, you know, CeeDee Lamb and Daryl Henderson, like all sorts of good stuff happening. Like it really takes, uh, you know, but you're right. You know, you lose Zach Ertz or George Kittle in a tight end premium when you're you're just banking on, you know, I was just like, that's going to be the, the the sort of the, the guy that holds the team together. You know, multiple, what is it, point and a half PPR for him or, oh, it's two PPR basically. It's, that's it's, right. And those first downs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's two X for the, for the tight ends. And so, you know, you, yeah. But anyway, 
Scott I think what's tough about that, though, before we move off of it, is yeah. when you are in that kind of league, especially, and I don't know about you, I don't do much redraft these days at all. I have my home league besides Scott Fishbowl, and that's it, and everything else is shifted over to Dynasty. So it does take, first of all, an adjustment to get yourself back in that redraft mindset, at least it does for me. Me too. But in this format, especially, if you endure injuries early, like did that, Chris Godwin especially yep. that must have hurt. Yeah. Um, though when you have those first picks endure early injuries, does that make you cautious to attack the waiver wire? Because are you expecting, well, once these guys get back, I'll be fine, and you believe in your draft? Or did you immediately turn to waivers? Well, the, the big one I missed was James Robinson. If I had hit James Robinson, actually, I'd be right with you because he was the he was the difference maker for basically most leagues, right? You know, the guy that was – and it's so weird. I've said this on the pod literally every week. I had um, James Robinson, I believe, at 14th – RB14 before the NFL draft. So rookies. Wow. So I was very high on him. I really was was super high. I was one of the highest I had seen. I liked James Robinson. Loved the tape. Loved everything. Thought he was uh, great. You know, I thought he was right on the edge, right, right behind some of the bigger names. And uh, maybe 13th, 14th, whatever it was. It was right there. And um, – and then I sort of lost my will because, you know, he went undrafted. I didn't see that coming. I thought he'd be a late round pick, you know, fifth, sixth round. He goes undrafted and then he lands behind Fournette and Zigbo and Armstead and they sign Chris Thompson. I'm like, he's never going to see the field. And, and even when they released Fournette, I was like, well, it's going to be a murky committee thing. I'm not going to spend all my fab on Robinson. And I just got to tell you, I was flat out wrong, you know. I mean, that's what it is. But, you know, I just sort of wished I would have still loved him the way I did and, you know, sort of stuck with him because it would have been a real good story to say, yeah, yeah, I had him there and now look, bitches. But, you know, I did. Right. But I did kind of give up a little bit on him and I didn't put in uh, the requisite bid to get Mr. James Robinson. I I, ironically, I. (laughs) I had no idea James Robinson was going to be any sort of thing like before the draft. I had no idea about James Robinson. None. He could not have been further off of my radar. I just was lucky because I did have some random player get injured right away week one. And it was after waivers ran and nobody had picked up Robinson because not everything had really happened yet. It was obviously right on the surface there. And I was just like, well, I'd heard a few smarter people than I on Twitter talking about him. It's like, well, he's going to be a pickup because why not? He's free. So I really lucked in. Again, I talk about luck. I really lucked into this. Well, there's definitely in Scott Fishbowl, there's definitely luck because if you play in a, I mean, it's it's 1,440 people. And there are 12 people in your league, and then they all play out. So, I mean, there's just, you know, there's what, uh, whatever that is, 12 times, uh, 100 and, uh, 125 leagues or something. I think that's 140, whatever it is. I'm not that sure. smart. Math isn't my strong suit, okay? <laughs> Neither is really any other subject, but um, school's not my strong subject. You know, get me out of school. <laughs> but um, so it's 120 leagues of 12 guys or whatever, and it's like if you're in a league with, four sharks or something it's going to be a lot more difficult than if basically your league is watered down and someone's not paying attention and you know it's going to be a lot easier for you to sort of stockpile you know all the good uh assets so it's definitely how how it goes but scott fishbowl is super fun because uh it's for charity and you know it's really cool because you get to know a lot of people in the industry and you know it's it's 1400 and you know 1400 people so if you win that shit you've got you know bragging rights i mean i i heard you can run around in a thong on twitter 
if you win this tournament. <laughs> I've, I've seen this. it. I've I didn't it. want. I didn't seek it out, but I've seen it. <laughs> well, you know, I don't want to waste too much time talking nonsense with a guy who's in basically only dynasty leagues and and really is a hell of a player. Obviously, you know, to be even to just be fiftieth in Scott Fishbowl takes a little bit more than luck. So, um, you know, we know we're talking to someone who knows what the hell they're what they're talking about. So. Before we get too far into it, you know, I've been asking every single, um, you know, every single guest on the show whether they would prefer Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. And I was doing that, obviously, before Joe Burrow got hurt. So if you can go back a week and be honest with me, when Joe Burrow was fine, who were you taking? If if we are just talking last week, yeah, right before I, we got hurt, I will preface this by saying, coming into this season, I could not have been more off Joe Burrow for this year, only for this year. Obviously, dynasty minded, right? Further out, I think he was going to be fine. I just expected a really slow start, which did not happen no. for him. I mean, aside from the first game against the Chargers, and then there was one against. The Ravens, and there were good defenses that he went up against, and he put up mediocre showings because that's what a rookie quarterback would do. Um, but my biggest thing with Burrow, my concern was, well, here he is. He's coming in with the shortened offseason. I was so nervous about the shortened offseason because of COVID restrictions and all of this. And then he's coming in behind an offensive line that I didn't think was going to have enough time to gel for him because they were relying on that first-round pick from two years ago who sat out last year with injury. And I just thought, oh boy, I don't know if they're going to be able to get it together right away. And they just, they, it didn't matter. Um, Joe Burrow looked great. So I have to admit my wrongness there first on Joe Burrow, while still acknowledging I would rather have Herbert just by watching them. Yeah. I was only looking at stats. I don't know. It'd be a pretty clean toss-up. And of course, Burrow was on his way to breaking so many uh, records there before his unfortunate injury. But I do think Herbert, if you watch the games, and I'm no scout I'm no tape grinder, but there's just something easy about what he's doing there. Maybe it's because he has better weapons, but it, I can't discount it regardless because are any of those weapons, are we worried about any of them moving on super quick? I'm not. No. Uh, at least the ones that matter for him. So I, I would say Herbert before that injury, um, but I, I really think both of them have done amazing so far. What's interesting is we weren't so hot on those weapons last year when it was Phil Rivers, were we now? I think it's Herbert. And, and you know, I was skeptical about all the I'm, – I'm a skeptic by nature. I think that's what keeps you – that's what keeps me from putting going all in on James Robinson, right? It's like, you know, you never want to be too far out, you know, over your skis with any, you know, one player or anything like that because that's how you get into traps and you get take lock, the rest of it, and you, you're up in flames and you lose. Uh, you know, everybody's available, trade anybody, right? All that stuff. You got to really be fluid uh, to be good at this game, which, you know, Dynasty Game Theory 101, right? It's just make sure that you are not, uh, you know, developing take lock. You can't sit on a take because you thought you were right then and, oh, no, he's, he's going to suck. Turbert's going to suck. He's, you know, no, he's shown us, you know, if you did think he was going to suck, Burrow was going to suck. And then you watch them play and they're good. You kind of have to say, okay, I think they're going to be good, right? They're, they're playing good. And, you know, with Herbert, you know, as we looked at it, we knew he had all the physical gifts. We just knew that. That wasn't, you know, a question. He, he was fast. He was big, strong. He was young. He had a great body. Um, you know, he, he didn't run funny or be gangly or anything. I mean, he had a great NFL body, right? 
six six, tall, lean, strong, young. I mean, he looks twelve years old. Um, right. Right. And so, what was the problem? Well, the problem was is he was very inconsistent. You know, his final season. You know, on a team that probably you'd be inconsistent if you played there. Um, but the other part of that was, you know, what he did with pressure, and he did not look good under pressure. What's been the most amazing for me this year is how good he looks under pressure. I mean, he's held in the pot, and not only so, not only is he good under pressure where he gets rid of the ball and makes a completion, he throws down the field under pressure. Like, unbelievable. Stands in the pocket, throws it 40, 50 yards down the field. Like, unbelievable. It's Herbert for me. It's been Herbert for me the whole way. Well, not the whole way, but, you know, since I've been asking this question, you know, last uh, five, six weeks, since Herbert's been playing, let's put it that way. As soon as I started to watch him play, I'm like, this kid's for real. So, to me, it's Herbert. But now talking about Joe Burrow, you know, in a dynasty lens, I think you really have to consider selling him right now. Uh, Because... For me, what I'm hearing is that the start of the 2021 season is almost not going to happen. And the whole 2021 season is a question mark. So let's find a, let's find a trade partner who <laughs> doesn't know that. Okay. So, you know, I may know that. You may know that. The people in our leagues may know that, but not all the people who listen to our podcasts in their leagues know that. And so you need to prey upon the guy who wants to still think Joe Burrow is the 1.01, but he'll just be back next year. It'll be fine. And you need to get him off your roster if you're asking me. Because otherwise, you're in a two-year rebuild. And I don't know about you, but I don't like this. I'm out. So for me, I am 100% out on Joe Burrow for now. Doesn't mean as a player, as a guy wishing the best, all the rest. But as a dynasty manager, try and flip him for another quarterback. You know, preferably one of the top 12, even if you have to give up an asset. Like if you have to give up, you know, right now, if I said Joe Burrow or Dak, or Joe Burrow and a first for Dak, would you do it? A late first. You know, not not a premium first, obviously. I would so hold Dak. I mean, if, I, if I'm the Dak person that, no, that I have him on my team, for sure. Right. You know, I, I absolutely want Dak. It's because I, I feel a, a sense of security about Dak that I definitely don't feel. You'd gladly spend Burrow plus a first to get Dak. Sure. Right? Sure. Like, get Burrow out of here. Let me just yep. get a quarterback. Like, like obviously, this is we're talking about a super flex league. <laughs> you know, in a one quarterback league, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Cut him. Yeah, whatever. Fine. Who gives a shit about a one quarterback <laughs> league? One quarterback leagues are a whole different ballgame. And we play in them. I play in them. I'm sure you do too, but... I'm with you, man. I, but I'm I'm jumping off ship. What What do you say? Would you do the same if you had Burrow now? Are you trying to flip him for anything? I define that anything. Yeah. Yes, I want to trade him, and yes, I want to trade him on the hopes, the hopes of that return. People who maybe saw it because there's conflicting reports out from uh, uh, injury uh, pe- people on Twitter. Those analysts whose job is to analyze injuries are not consistent on this so if they've seen the people who are saying oh he's he's fine for week one and me and you are seeing those people but also seeing the other one saying uh i don't think he's gonna have a shot before mid-season at best well then yeah you just try and you try and cater it towards those other folks and there there's also that bit about 
I try not to have team bias too much, like organizational bias, but it can be hard with some teams and some organizations. And those those ones that find a way to flounder almost everything, Yes, I want to jump ship off of them even quicker, and that is absolutely the Bengals, and it's absolutely Burrow. Absolutely. I just hopped on the uh, unscripted pod. Um, you know, like, like I literally crashed their party and, but they, they, we talked briefly about Mixon and Burrow and I, I, you know, where was Mixon? Cause he's kind of, they look, I have, I have a little bit of inside information as to what happened with Mixon that he was kind of misdiagnosed and they missed this broken foot. So, um, you know, I'll just tell you that there you go to your, to your point of organizational failure. The Cincinnati Bengals have failed Joe Mixon. That's why they just put him on IR. That's why they just started talking about broken. Did you hear anything about broken before this week? Neither did I. So, you know, right? So, what the <laughs> fuck, man? So, Joe Mixon has been, you know, you know, misappropriated by that team. And so, if you're talking about the value of Joe Mixon or Joe Burrow, what can you have confidence in? Can you have confidence in the Cincinnati Bengals front office? No. Can you have confidence the Cincinnati Bengals training staff? No. Do you have confidence in the Cincinnati coaching staff? No. Do you have confidence in the Cincinnati offensive line? No. Weapons? Sure. But what the fuck ever? Like that's T. Higgins and, and Boyd are great. And that's basically all that's been going good for both for Burrow this year. And so that's you're, you make a great point that, you know, look, if this were – you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers or something where you're like, okay, they've got their shit together. They're definitely not going to let this get whatever the case, right? I'm not so sure here. And they could definitely fuck this up. So quickly. <laughs> could, and honestly, it could be as soon as a couple of months from now we get these reports coming out. Or maybe once the season just wraps, you know, where we're, we're going to get some really, really bad info. And I hope for his sake, of course, that we don't. And it doesn't go the way of, say, an Alex Smith uh, situation where we have to do two years of putting him through that. But you never know. So, yeah, to your point, absolutely. I'd be making moves right now. Yeah, no doubt. So I think we, we've, we've, we've agreed there. Speaking of a guy that you may want to trade for, there's a quarterback out there. He's available. What about Taysom Hill? I mean, this one is getting me because, you know, there's the, the Taysom Hill stands who are, like, thinking that this is, like, his opportunity to be like Lamar Jackson. Like, literally, literally. There are people that think that he is a top five quarterback in this league. Like, not even, not even joking. I'm not joking. And then there are people who think he's like sub Tim Tebow. And so here's my point. Like, I guess even Tim Tebow was extremely uh, effective in terms of fantasy football. Taysom Hill was extremely efficient in fantasy football in game one. I think I'm buying here. I mean, especially at his current cost. Um, you know, there's the, the auspice of Drew Brees coming back, you know, so I think that sort of limits his value because people are like, well, Brees is coming back. He's only going to play a couple games, yada, yada. But if he kind of auditions here and plays well, they're sort of strapped with his contract. I could see New Orleans who don't have, uh, Winston under contract for next year. I could see New Orleans saying, yeah, let's roll with, with, with Taysom Hill. And I don't know. Is that, <laughs> that, that's actually a pretty good starter for 2021. No. I don't think it's terrible if that if that's a situation that's presented where Taysom Hill is the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. You have to be willing to have him as a fantasy asset on your team. It would be, it'd be stupid not to, it, regardless of how great or not great you think he will perform. The starting quarterback for that team is somebody that you should have on your roster. 
My only concerns with him thus far, and from the fantasy stat sheet, I don't know. People were were not as uh, happy with his performance against Atlanta this past week as I thought they would be, like across the board, because there were still so many people talking about how ugly it looked on the field and, you know, it was uncomfortable to watch. It's like, well, you don't have to watch it then. Just yeah. <laughs> take the points. There's no, there's nothing that says you have to watch the games. There are plenty of players out there who do what they do, and they don't do it pretty, but they get you the points. And Taysom Hill could just be that guy. Now, of course, it's the softest of soft competition yep. from a fantasy perspective against the Falcons. He gets a couple of matchups here that are going to be just as soft. I mean, he gets Denver next week, very beatable matchup. Not, yep. not as great as the Falcons, but then he gets to go back to the Falcons. So <laughs> right. for this little stretch, like even if you can, if you're very uh, much on that quick market moving kind of thing from a dynasty perspective, and I'll try and trade from this week to ride him in those couple of weeks and then maybe trade him higher than what you got him for that value, then do that too. Yep. Uh, or if you just want to test him out, I'm okay with that. I'm still, I'm probably more cautious than you are about that um just because i don't i think it makes sense what you're saying but i've gotten bit so many times by following narratives that it just makes me a little bit wincy (laughs) to do that well we we had this uh last week uh, you know we did the quarterback episode and we had there was four of us and we literally did a draft where we went one by one after another and we we were taking who we'd want in a Superflex Dynasty League one after the other. We actually threw in the the 2021 rookies, which just made it fun. But Taysom Hill went late, and he went above guys like Drew Locke. Um, and I think uh, he went ahead of Derek Carr and things like that. So he went ahead of some of these guys, and none of us were like, well, that's stupid. Like, you know, it, right? It, it sort of made sense where he was placed in there. And I'm wondering if you could, you know, maybe – Sort of, I don't know if buy low is the right answer. I just don't know that it would take you a ton to get him, especially you know if you've if you've been rostering Taysom for this long and someone comes to you with an offer that actually has some shit in it, you'd be like, huh? Well, that's more. You haven't gotten any offers for his ass for a long time, right. so all of a sudden you have this offer you're like, well, that's a those some real, you know, Damian Harris. Wow, okay, you know, I mean, whatever, right? So you start to put something in there that's sort of like, whoa, hey, I can get Damian Harris in a second. Boom, and and then you have Taysom Hill, and it's like, well, maybe you gave up too much. It's possible if he flames out, but I don't think it takes a massive investment to get him. Where it's like, oh, I paid two, you know, two first, and then, look, no, of course not. You know, you know, until he's like got a five-year, one hundred million dollar contract that he's, you know, then we'll go. But no, I mean, now, I mean, I think it takes a lot less to get him. And as long as Peyton is the coach there, there's a very reasonable chance of that happening. Let's just be honest. puppy dog, so, right? Yeah. So you basically, you're tying him to the coach. And if that coach isn't uh, going to leave anytime soon, then your your chance or your risk, I should say, there is probably not that large. You're right. You're not going to crater your team by going out trying to acquire Taysom Hill. Right. And But you could really enhance it. It's possible, right? So the, I think the upside or the reward outweighs the risk in this particular case. But, you know, obviously every player kind of has, especially, you know, quarterbacks of just being flat out replaced and benched, right? You know, I always say this about wide receivers. You know, when a wide receiver gets replaced, you know, a la Larry Fitzgerald, he still has relevancy, right? right. He's not been the, the wide receiver one. If he were a quarterback or a running back, he would be useless, but he hasn't been useless. He's just been behind 
DeAndre Hopkins or Christian Kirk or whomever, right? But he's still been productive as the WR three or four on a team. And that's that's possible as a wide receiver. Quarterback, no. <laughs> you're either starting or you're zero. Like you're that's it. There's you know, there's no in between. There's no like, you know, splitting the splitting the carries, you know? To be fair, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is basically the in-between. He, he's not going to start a game necessarily. He might finish the game, though, yeah. on every other game. I think that's basically your in-between for a quarterback. But, but you no, your point him. totally makes sense. Yeah, right. you can never start him, right? I mean, you can never be like, oh, yeah, he'll, he's going to get 10 attempts. Like, fucking, what are you, crazy, you know? That's <laughs> projecting for, you know, right? But you're right. I mean, you know, but yeah, the point taken. Um, so, okay, so let's let's ask the question this way, Jake. I didn't do any any research, so you can lie to me if you want. <laughs> okay, you're welcome to. Oh boy, who was your WR one in the 2020 class? It was coming in. Oh, coming. Uh, it was it was Jerry Judy, and I still feel good about it. Absolutely. You know, obviously, I don't feel as great about it as I did back then. And I should also preface this by saying that I am by no means a rookie expert. And so sure. I'm accumulating knowledge from any source that I can get it for this. And, uh, yeah, it just seemed like from an all-around wide receiver perspective, Judy seemed the guy. Uh, I'd heard, uh, you know, plenty good about Lamb and plenty good about Rager. Um, just like, ah, where can I see – I. Where can I see these guys in five years? It's like Judy's probably just going to be fucking crushing people. And that obviously could still very well happen. Just not happening yet. No, I think Judy is uh, – I, 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 when, we when we were scouting, and, and, and I won't say I'm a rookie expert, but maybe I am. Um, you know, it, it's certainly – I'd like to throw my hat in that ring at the very least. Um, my process certainly doesn't start – I'm not much of a college football expert, which actually – it's sort of, you know, but I'm a draft nick, man. I love the draft. I love NBA draft, NFL draft, but the NFL draft is like one of my favorite things. Like I just fucking love it. So for me, I just get into it at the appropriate time. Like once the season is over, I'll just be gobbling up information and doing everything it takes to just, just cause I love it. Like I don't even need to know for business. I just need to know because my soul tells me I need to know. So for me, you know, uh, Jerry Judy was like the, the sort of surest thing. But I thought that that sure thing didn't have the ceiling that C.D. Lamb did. And Jerry Judy felt like, you know, Calvin Ridley, you know, for sure. Like at least, you know, um, he was sort of like uh, – I, I comped him to basically three players. Calvin Ridley, Keenan Allen, and Stephon Diggs. Those were the sort of three players that I thought Jerry Judy sort of reminded me of. I didn't think he had quite the explosion of Diggs. But I thought he was a little bit more explosive than – Keenan Allen and, and 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 Ridley, but I thought he played like Ridley, Keenan Allen. So it was sort of in that little mold. You know, he's such an, a route running expert. He's just really gifted football player, he, body control, the whole thing. And and he he's shown the ability to to win in contested situations down the field. So I'm with you on Jerry Judy. He's certainly a hell of a player. But for me, there was a clear wide receiver one the whole way. And it looks like he's starting to show himself a bit. You know, even with Andy Dalton, CeeDee Lamb was just outstanding. Did you see the, the catch he made in the end zone this week? This week? Yeah, it was pretty uh, fantastic. <laughs> I, and I think it's a good coming out party for just the general folks who were watching him and probably very frustrated with him up until this point. Uh, and to no fault of his own, really. Uh, but yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I, I don't know if, if you saw the, the catch he made 
at the combine right in front of Jerry Judy. It was like ridiculous. It was they were just doing drills and they were in their you know their underpants or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they were right. the, the spandex or whatever. But like he, so he didn't have pads on or anything. But like there was a corner end zone fade. You know, and he just he had to lay out. He just he caught it one handed and like got two feet down and like had the somersault somersault hopped up and like high five Jerry Judy and was like, yeah, it was pretty fucking slick. Wasn't it? Like <laughs> the dude just has this sort of like, he's just that good. Like, I know that's just one play, but you know, and it's, it's, a, it's in sweatpants or whatever, but like, he just always seems to be able to do that. And he did it again here. He's a red zone threat because he can just make these acrobatic catches. He's a threat to take it deep. He's a threat to run routes. He's just, he is the the purest wide receiver that I've seen in many years. I think he's, I just think he's an absolute supernova, and he's the he, for me he's a top five dynasty wide receiver, even given the current situation that he's got to endure in his rookie season with with Andy Dalton or whomever they throw out there. But I think I think Gallup gets signed somewhere else. I think it's you know it's Cooper and Lamb next year. They'll probably bring somebody else in, obviously, but sure. um, you know whomever, and it's going to be CD and Amari, and it's going to be. With, with Dak, I mean, I think Dak comes back and he's going to be fine. Like, I have no concerns about that Dallas offense. And CeeDee Lamb is wheels all the way up. It's kind of nice with him, too, if you're looking for now a sense of security with these guys. Because obviously the flux of the offseason is always what's so tricky with rookies who are not attached firmly to the hip of a particular quarterback or a particular coaching staff or whatever. With Jerry, it's almost... His stubbornness can be really a big security blanket for you in fantasy because you know the odds of him moving on from certain folks is so slim. And and now when you get a chance to see what your team looks like without Dak, I don't think there's a chance in hell they don't sign him again to a long-term contract. So there you go. You have that connection set up for a few years, and I can't not agree with you on that. Yeah, it's funny, like uh, the Dak, situation when he got hurt a lot of people were like oh man he should have signed that contract and i was like no his value just went up just let the shit storm play behind him this garrett gilbert andy dalton ben DiNucci, <laughs> you know clown show let them show what it really looks like when you don't have a guy with dak's skill set i mean dak was on a pace for over 6500 yards like what the fuck are you talking about like literally what are you even talking about like the fact that he had to throw that much to win, I, I would, I joked on the pod, uh, you know, wh- right after he got hurt, I was like, you know, uh, they would, they would lose 38 to 34 and Dak would go, you know, uh, you know, for 525 yards, four touchdowns, but he'd throw a late pick and they'd blame him. I'd be like, yep. what a bum. I'd be like, what are you fucking <laughs> talking about? Right? Like that literally happens. You know, you'd be like, this guy ain't it. He can't get it done in the fourth quarter. You're like, dude, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have it in crunch time. You know, he doesn't have that metal. Like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. They put up 40 against your defense. Maybe stop one one drive. And, you know, right. so it's just nonsense. And it's showing through now because obviously, you know, the, it, you know whatever. So so Dak is coming back. He's, they're going to sign him. For me, it's more, will Dak want to stay? Sure. Right? That's fair. I mean, I, you know, doesn't he kind of hold all the cards now? I mean, yeah, he's injured, but I'm going to be fine, and your team sucks without me. So fucking pony up. Like, am I a good agent? That's like, true. Like, if I, if you say that, what what does Jerry say? Like, yeah, but yeah, but what? <laughs> 
We'll throw some draft dollars at somebody else, I guess, and yeah, call it go a day. For it. There's another. Uh, I well, I was about to say there's a number of teams who could easily be a suitor for Dak. I do actually wonder though, because some of these teams that I think would be a suitor, I don't think that the GM and coach actually would believe that. Like they're right. sticking with these guys that maybe I project as like should be off the team immediately, and and that's always not the case. It would be really interesting though, and really shitty if he ended up in some place. Uh, depressed, like say Philly. I, obviously, that would never happen because it's in your division. But or can Minnesota. a guy dream of the shit Minnesota. show? Oh, what's the situation with Cousins' contract? Is that even I, a feasibility? Because it would be interesting. I just said that to piss you off. Being a Green Bay fan, I thought you know Dak oh. in Minnesota with Jefferson and Thielen and Cook. Holy shit! It would be why I see my fantasy brain always starts at the forefront. It takes a little bit for it to trickle back to my Homer brain there, but you're, you're right. That would, uh, I would fucking hate that. But from a fantasy perspective, I would love it for Justin Jefferson. So absolutely. So I'm going to take a little, a little detour and talk your language. So, okay. So I don't know. You, you probably should have seen some of my tweets during draft night. Cause they will, I'll I'll pull them up because I'm the receipt king. I don't know if you heard about this, but I can fucking pull them up fast. (laughs) So I'll pull them up while we're talking. But one thing that um, I would ask you is, what did you think about their draft? And what did you th- what What are your thoughts about Aaron Rodgers' sort of you know future there? Both what you feel like you would do, or how you feel about it, and then what you think is going to happen. Well, I'll tell you on draft night, me and my co-host Dustin were uh, FaceTiming at the time. And just talking each other off the cliff every other turn about what happened. You know, the first pick comes in and it's they they trade up to draft a project quarterback. Yeah. And then the second did. round, we're thinking, oh, look, all right, fine. They they fell into that trap because it worked for Aaron Rodgers behind Brett Favre. So here we go. They're just going to try and replicate history here. Second round. There's plenty of good wide receiving options available. They'll get him the the weapons he needs this year and send him off nicely. Then nope, fucking A.J. Dillon and his obnoxiously large thighs. And then it's a tight end in the third round. It's just this shit show of you're, you're praying and hoping. I got to the point where it was like seventh round or something. And uh, was it? Tyler Johnson was still out there, or maybe he was the sixth round. It was one of those later rounds, and I was like, hey, if we get Tyler Johnson, I will be fucking psyched. And then, nope, you had him in those late rounds available, and you you don't even pick him up. So, yeah, was I frustrated? (laughs) You bet I was frustrated by that draft night. Now, from an Aaron Rodgers perspective, I expected him to take it much worse, truly. I think we've all seen enough that he has the ability in him to be spiteful, in some of the worst ways from an NFL production standpoint. If he spites you, he's going to spite you hard and you're not going to get <laughs> you're not going to get a good version of Aaron Rodgers. Or of course there's the chip on the shoulder version which is talked about ad nauseum and that's what the hope was that you would get here is they're drafting your replacement. Is that going to light that good fire? And I mean from from this year it looks like it has, but if I'm him, I do I thought this was still a chance of course that this would not going to be a year like COVID was going to take over 2020 yeah. and we weren't going to get a season. And I thought if that was the case, we saw the last snap from Aaron Rodgers in a Green Bay jersey. Wow, that would be that would be terrible. I mean, <clears throat> you know, you and I uh, have gone back and forth a little bit about which quarterback is a bigger prick. 
uh, <laughs> Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers. Let's just say that we'll shelve that argument right now. But regardless of what we think of Aaron Rodgers as a guy and uh, as a teammate and this whole nonsense that they picked, you know, Jordan Love to to light a fire under Aaron Rodgers, if if that's really what it took, I can't even believe that that's – first of all, that's the biggest – piece of nonsense that I've ever heard in my life. You're going to waste away one of the most premium assets in all of sports to light a fire. Like that doesn't even make sense to me. There was so much talent on the board there and you know, uh, that doesn't make sense. And you know, he's been so good. Like, I mean, I did watch the Patriots have issues with Tom Brady. Look, it happens, man. I mean, if you're at your own personal job, whatever the fuck you guys do out there, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. If you're at your job for 22 years and you started when you were 20 and you get paid $100 million to do it and you're the best in the world, you're going to be a little bit prima donna. I promise you. I don't give a shit who you are. So that's normal. That's baked into the cake. So you're a GM. Fucking deal with it. That's what you get paid to do. You get paid to go to Aaron Rodgers Kiss the ring, make him feel good about himself, tell him it's going to be okay, and pick fucking Justin Jefferson for him. That's what you do. That's what you do. You, you you don't pick Jordan Love. I mean, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Well, we were trying to light a fire. Nobody was trying to light a fire. They just were not confident that they could keep Aaron Rodgers happy. And so th- they're morons. And I, I said it on draft night. It was like I was doing a live uh, you know thing and uh, you know round one, pick 26 – Green Bay Packers trade up to take Jordan Love. I said, are you joking? Seriously? I was like, okay, Green Bay just picked a guy who might, maybe, able to contribute in the years after Aaron Rodgers retires in the first round. My goodness. And uh, you'll love my uh, my comment for A.J. Dillon. So, <laughs> you know, there they are in the second round, man. And there's still good running backs on the board, too. Like, I think Cam yeah. Akers? No, he uh, – someone – there was one of the premium backs was still there. Yeah. Akers was still there. Akers went in the third round, so they could have actually picked Cam Akers. Uh, am I right about that? I may be wrong about that. No, Zach Moss and stuff. But look, forget about that. I'm wrong about that. Cam Akers did go for, uh, further ahead, but regardless. So, uh, AJ Dillon, Green Bay Packers. I said the Packers edibles just kicked in. <laughs> I so agree with that sentiment. It, ju- it did. It seemed like a total what-the-fuck move. <laughs> It what is. are you is there I know we talk about this sometimes as a joke for some of these drafts but do you really have a dartboard with dudes faces on it that you're just fucking throwing at at this point what's your process what's the pro, what's the story you're telling with this draft like it's it's all for fucking maybe 2021 at best <laughs> you know it's just bizarre you know it's true like the um um the third pick was Josiah Deguerra a blocking tight end slash fullback. So they went with a, a, a two down grinder, a project quarterback and a fullback slash tight end backup player in their first three picks in the twilight of Aaron Rodgers' career. When he has the, they went 13 and three the year before. Now, a lot of people felt like they were a little overachieving with that record, but then get him some weapons that makes it not overachieving to go 13 and three. Let the guy go four, 15 and one and overachieve or let him go. 11 and 5 but i mean get him some damn weapons get a defender get there's so, those are three premium picks and they completely whiffed mm-hmm. on all three you know james robinson was available after the draft for right. them to go fucking sign they don't have to get aj dillon in the second round this is utter nonsense and 
it's just ridiculous. I mean, don't even get me started on this. So, I, I, I mean, as a Green Bay fan, I would have been on fire. To their credit, though, I mean, what we're not talking about here, everything was going to be fine because they had signed Devin Funches. So, you know, you can't control losing a premium asset no. like Devin Funches before it's a the good year point. <laughs> they were all set at wide receiver. They were dialed in. I mean, it really, Lazard is good, and MVS has been good, and maybe they didn't think, hey, you know, maybe they thought they were okay at receiver. You know, that's possible. I know Aaron Rodgers did not think they were okay at receiver because right after the pick, he took some shots, didn't he? Like little oh, yeah. shots. Did you he, see that? He got real drunk, as we all did. Around the Green Bay area. He did. He literally was like, what the fuck? And took some shot. Like, he literally did that. On camera, too. So, I don't think he, he was, he didn't give any fucks. Yeah, I don't blame him. No, I don't either. All right. Give me on my, get me off my soapbox. Let's, you know, I, I mentioned a couple guys already. You talked about them on your, on your team. You have James Robinson and Antonio Gibson on your, um, on your Scott Fish, Scott Fishbowl team. I mentioned Cam Akers. So I'm just going to ask you. You can take a minute if you want to, you know, phone a friend. There's there's lots of different things you can do. That you can take 50-50. This is like who wants Ooh. to be a millionaire? Yeah, you tell me. But put those three guys in order in Dynasty. Honestly, in Dynasty, it's Antonio Gibson at the top for me. Hmm. The other two are a little bit more interesting. I think it's just Gibson has proven himself to be um, sort of independent of that offense. It doesn't necessarily matter who's under center. It doesn't necessarily matter how great the offense is. Gibson's producing in spite of it at times. And for a guy who the big knock against him, of course, he's a wide receiver turned into a running back. How much can we trust him between the tackles? And that's what all he's doing right now. He is the between the tackles guy. He's a runner. He's not even getting targets. McKissick's getting targets uh, above him, which sucks. But from that perspective, I feel very confident in Gibson. Robinson's tricky. It's it's really still just more about the organization than him, though. I think his talent's great. Great talent. But how much do I trust Jacksonville uh, to see that through? Not a lot. You know, like you said at the start here, when he came in, it was him behind dudes. And not the best dudes, but Fournette was there. Azigbo was healthy. Armstead was healthy. And he was behind him. So if they don't get injured, what do we see from Robinson? Probably not a lot. And that potential is maybe not realized. So that that is what makes me nervous about him. Akers, I still believe in. I, I was out on him again this year, just for this year, because we'd heard so much about the committee and the fact that draft capital clearly didn't mean that much to the team when it came to the running back position, because we saw this already with Daryl Henderson. Sure. So that made me nervous for this year. I think long-term, though, as you see this guy start to go, it's clear that he, I mean, he is the best option there. And you don't need this 35-35-30 split in that backfield anymore. So I would put Akers, I think, at two and Robinson at three. And again, that really just comes down to the organization. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, we literally saw how they treated Daryl Henderson in his rookie year. Why would we necessarily feel like they would do anything too much different with Acres? You know, my my sort of utopian view of what Acres would be this year was sort of Todd Gurley light, like the good Todd Gurley. You know, remember right. him? Remember him? Barely. Oh, oh my God, he existed at one point. 
Um, he's been really bad. I mean, it, you know, I was talking about him a few shows back, and I think, you know, I probably gave the wrong impression. I was talking about him as a value because I think that people are so out on him that Gurley's a value because he gives you something, you know, an RB2 or a flex situation on a weekly basis where you probably don't even have to spend maybe just a 21 second to get him. So in that regard, I think Gurley's a value because he's performed at like the, well, after last week, it wasn't very good, but a top 10 running back this year that you can sort of get on your roster for a playoff run for very little. Still, Gurley is, you know, history still. He's not been very good. But that being said, I, I circa 2017 Gurley, sort of an 80, 85%. I was like, oh my God, it could happen. You know, because Malcolm Brown is just a guy and um, Daryl Henderson, they clearly had some trepidation with him. Now, what has changed? Well, Daryl Henderson's had one of the best years. I mean, he's been one of the best running backs in the NFL, kind of. I mean, he's been really good when he's played. So he's looked really good. Akers got hurt. He hurt his ribs. I mean, I think he cracked a rib or some shit like that. That really hurts. Um, hard to play through. He's a rookie. So they gave veteran deference to the veterans while the rookie is hurt, of course. But, you know, I think he was starting to come on a little bit. Uh, they gave him a little bit more this week. I'm just a, I'm a believer in Akers long-term, and I think next year it's going to be wheels up. I think Malcolm Brown will likely be either relegated or not there or something. Maybe it'll be a two-headed monster. That's a little bit of an issue with him and Henderson. But there's enough there for them to really, you know, that offense, that, that offense moves right along. I mean, there's no issues with that O. So, you know, even 50% of that offense is pretty good if it's like sort of a Kamara-Murray type of thing or, you know, Kamara-Ingram when it was good. You know, if that offense moves like that, it's fine. Absolutely. And and I do think that you can put some trust in that because they've been doing this. And again, it's not as if their offense has been dynamite on all levels. There's been some weird stumbling blocks for the Rams this year that uh, – and, and like you said, Daryl Henderson, you got to give the guy credit. Because it's not like he's not doing everything that you could want for him. It's just too bad because I wanted it for Acres, you know. Yeah. But you're right. I, I do think we eventually see that. Do you? How much of a confidence level would you put on them being a two-headed monster versus letting somebody shine? Yeah, I mean, I really thought it was going to be like you know seventy-five percent Acres, and then like you know mo- a little bit of Henderson and Malcolm Brown would be kind of just a backup type of player. That's what I thought we'd see. I mean, I don't know about 75%. That's a lot, but majority acres this year. I thought he was going to, I didn't think he'd start that way. I thought Malcolm Brown would kind of be the guy that would be that sort of veteran to start. And then acres would sort of supplant him and Henderson would kind of have just his role. I thought Henderson was going to be that sort of consistent 20% back all year. And, you know, it would be like, the rest of it would be 50-50 at first, and then it would just be Acres would take over that bigger part, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, That's kind of what I envisioned happening uh, at the beginning of the season. And I'm not so sure I was wrong. I just think that Acres got hurt, too. In that Philly game, he was the guy. It was like the game, first drive, it was him. They were by the goal line. He got hurt. And what was it, four weeks, five weeks later? I mean, you know. That's a big deal in the like the second or third week, whatever it was of the of the of your rookie season. You get it. I just think it put a whole sort of you know kibosh on his season. Then this past week, we all get a little worried, but they played Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay doesn't let anybody run on them. They're fucking stout up front. Right. So throw that game out because it doesn't even matter. Like whatever you saw in that game doesn't. It literally doesn't matter in the run game. People are like they didn't go to Henderson much. It's like no shit, they didn't go to Henderson. What do you want them to do? <laughs> like. Also, they were they were scorching them on the other side. I mean, Cup and 
you know, everybody was doing, everybody was open, right? You know, so they moved the ball just fine against Tampa Bay. So, you know, I thought that was going to happen in that game. They were going to move the ball, throw in the ball, or they weren't going to move the ball. So, you know, when they when they have better matchups, I think Akers can start to reassert himself. I tweeted it a little bit, like, go get Akers now because his value is super low. But if and when he has a big game against a shitty opponent, which I'm not looking at their schedule, but it's going to happen. At sure. some point this year, he's going to blow up, and and then it's going to be much harder to attain him in Dynasty. So I, I do so now while, while I think the getting is good. Agreed. Fully agreed. Yeah. I do have to say just one quick thing. Uh, fuck Malcolm Brown, though, for getting, like, the random plays at the end there with those targets. What are you, Come on! What are you doing to me? <laughs> it so hurts every time. Because, like, you know, I don't know about you, but I watch and I'm, like, looking for the number. Like, who is that? Is that fucking... Because I can't tell the difference between Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson. You can kind of tell. He looks like him. Like, he looks different, you know? Mm-hmm. got the hair and the whole thing. But, like, between Malcolm Brown and Akers, I'm like, which one is... That? Oh, fucking Malcolm Brown. So I'm totally <laughs> with you. Fucking Malcolm Brown is his, is his name for me. And he's, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. Sure Absolutely. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. <laughs> Don't at me with Malcolm Brown. Uh, you know, you know, I know his cousin and his family. They come from Decatur, Illinois, and they're wonderful. I don't fucking care, right? <laughs> he's ruining my acres shares. <laughs> I'm gonna have to open another bottle of wine. So this is getting this is getting bad. All right, so I'm 100 percent with you. I think you know, I I still I'm a sucker for acres. Because I'm a sucker for his talent. And I think he's just so prototypical that it's hard for me to sort of turn away from him. Uh, with, with James Robinson, I also agree. It's not like, look, if I were if you and I were running the Jacksonville Jaguars, I'd have him ready to go next year. Like, be like, let's do this. Like, he's fine. He's not our problem. You know, he's not the right. issue. But as we always say, you can never trust rational coaching in, in, in this league or rational general managing. You have to understand it. And I had tweeted Mike Lou had uh, stepped up and 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 started uh, singing James Robinson's praises, and I and I love him for it because I do love James Robinson. And and if you ask me, truth serum, I want James Robinson to be like a ten year awesome stud pro. Like I'm in, but I'm hesitant. And and what I had um, tweeted to him was uh, Philip Lindsay says hi, right? In other words, an undrafted <laughs> player who. Looked really good in his rookie season, who still sometimes I think looks better than Melvin Gordon, if you ask me, but still doesn't get the lion's share of the carries in, in, in Denver. Somehow or another, they found a way to replace him, even though he didn't really need replacing. They found a way to pay somebody a whole bunch of money to come in and do 80% of what he could do. So what's Bingo. it going to stop Jacksonville from doing the exact same thing with James Robinson? <laughs> Probably not going to stop them. There's going to be some. And, and this offseason, of course, there's going to be so many running back for agents. Unless we see them start to get locked down here towards the end of the season. I'm with you. So do they pay somebody like Chris Carson to come in and decimate? It's possible. Carry on Johnson. Like, honestly. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, really. Like, honestly, it could be that bad where you're like, what the fuck? Carry on Johnson. You know, Marlon Mack, carry on Johnson. Like. You know, it's just it can get very murky very quickly, and that's what I'm afraid of. And you know, like I said, if you're asking me what I would do, I'm not bringing in Carry On Johnson on some contract. To, forget about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign another undrafted free agent next year. To, I mean, obviously, running backs grow on trees. But here's the question I've asked a, a lot of people on the pod, and see what you say. So you have two choices: you have James Robinson or every every other running back on the planet. Who 
leads the Jacksonville Jaguars in touches in 2021 game one. Oh, Ugh, it's an ugly position to have to actually have to think of it from yeah, inside their brain, inside that coaching brain or GM brain to put yourself into that situation. It's gross. I don't like the feeling. Uh, it feels sticky all of a sudden. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. I, I do think that I think there's going to be somebody else overtaking the touch. I hope that it doesn't happen. Like you said, I hope that it doesn't happen because it doesn't make any logical sense so for them stupid. to bring somebody in. But I just, I know how this league disappoints me time and time again in these situations. I'm going to take somebody else. And it might not be somebody so uber talented. Like you're saying, it could be nothing against Marlon Mack. He, 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 sorry, he was good. That, that was about yeah. to come off very wrong. He was fine. Yeah. He was totally yeah. fine for the Colts. And I respect him more, actually, after seeing uh, what Jonathan Taylor has not quite done. Shh. But you know what I mean? Somebody else can come in like that pretty easily into yes. that frame. Well, that's what I said. I took the field, and and I literally hope I'm wrong. Like I literally do. I don't want to be right on this, but it's like it just it just uh, you know. And obviously, the more every week that goes by that James Robinson does what he keeps doing, I'm leaning more towards James Robinson, right? But I think when you see like oh, you know, if he if he starts to stumble, Ogzipo played like three downs or something like that. Like he just barely got in the game here this week. It's like interesting. That's all I'm saying. It's just interesting. Like, you know, what if – I don't know. You know, it could happen here in a minute. I, who even knows? I mean, I know that the, the fantasy world would, like, literally start I – mean, imagine if Zigbo got 55% to 45% James Robinson in, like, week, a week or two. I mean, fantasy football Twitter would lose its collective mind. Am I right? I think my Twitter account would be suspended within the hour if that happened. I just, it would be so frustrating. But again, it's so unfortunately plausible with some of these yes. teams. And if the, it's the pass catching that worries me the most. If somebody comes out and really lights the world, he's been very capable, by the it's way, as a pass catcher, very capable. But if somebody really comes and they have the shifty guy in their mind that they just want to get out there. I mean, a Chris Thompson, but younger. If they find yeah. a guy like that that they want to put out there, they will. And if they do, then sayonara to the great value that you have with Robinson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and here's here's talking to a guy who literally you want him to roll for you so you can win the Scott Fishbowl. So I know you're not yeah. uh, you're not talking from anything but uh, from from what you want to happen. So all right. Here's, here's another go. We're, we're getting towards the end, but, you know, I've been known to go a little long on these, Jake. You know, you're not going to believe it. I can be – I've been known to be a little long-winded here and there. Like, you know, it's not my character. It's just I've been – <laughs> so we have a we have a, we have have a a guy, AB84, who's now AB81, Antonio Brown. He's in Tampa Bay, and he was, he was peppered with targets this last week. Uh, they didn't move the ball too well, of course, because Tom Brady's old and – his AARP card is coming in and he just, he's not the same player. He's not like that last throw that he made to end the game, which was awful, a terrible play call to begin with. Arians left Brady out to dry after that. He goes, no, we've been completing that one in practice. Didn't look too good in the game. Like get the fuck out of here with that nonsense. But you know, run a four seams and try and hit break, like literally break on the seam in a known passing situation against safety coverage over the top. Has to be the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard of in my life with a 43-year-old quarterback throwing to a 4-8-5-40 tight end. Like, what? Like, literally what? But uh, aside from all that nonsense, which I didn't think anything about this beforehand, I'm sorry. Uh, but aside from that nonsense, Antonio Brown, like, 
is he, what the fuck are we doing with Antonio Brown is what I'm trying to ask you. If you have him, you've held him, and congratulations on holding him to this point so that you could sniff out to see what he was going to do. My biggest issue with Antonio Brown, is, well, I mean, I have a lot of issues with Antonio Brown, but from a fantasy perspective, yeah, uh, my biggest issue with him is that I don't know whether to trust that Brady is going to hyper-target him for always because of whatever this bond is that they have. It, it, they, they are trying to make it work on the field a whole lot and you saw it in this last game against the uh against the rams just middle of the field dink dunk so hard like egregious the way that he was doing it on that one drive in particular and it's well was that just him trying to get the juices flowing to see can i rely on him and does that go away because he was okay but he didn't really do much for him Truthfully, I mean, from a football perspective, he didn't do much for them that game. So I don't know whether to trust Tom Brady's psyche or Bruce Arians coaching because all of it's so nebulous. Bruce Arians is the worst coach for fantasy football. People talk about Belichick in that way a lot. It's fucking Arians for me because you can't trust anything that he says ever about any player. And he holds weird grudges. And anyways, I I know that was off topic a little bit, but Antonio... Antonio Brown is just in the spot of if I held on to him, I'm going to keep doing that. Nobody's going to come around, I don't think, and offer you much for him at this point because you haven't really seen much from him. What I was hoping for, for the people that held on to him, which was not me because I just couldn't, it was too, I don't want to clog up my bench with him. And I didn't think that he would actually get another shot, truly. But if you held on to him, I hoped you would get a blow up game like he had with the Patriots last year, where you have that one game. He gets hyper-targeted, and he blows up. And then you can trade him immediately and get your value and get off of him. And now you really kind of can't, unless there's somebody who's a big Bucks believer in your league. Yeah. And then go for him. You know, try and trade him. But for right now, I think you just got to hold and hope that those dink and dunks continue. Yeah, I mean, you, you say it. Um, you know, it's interesting because he... Let me, let, me, let me share this with you. His first game back, five targets. Second game, eight targets. He was targeted 13 times this last game. So I'm just saying, like, he's 32 years old. If there's one thing we said about Antonio Brown, positively, it was never that he was in bad shape. Like, dude was always ready to go, right? Like, he was ready to go. And I think if you're saying, do I think Antonio Brown is going to be like in good shape till he's 33, 34, 35? Sure. Like, I don't think we're going to see a Julio Jones type of thing where he's dealing with this and that and like AJ Green broken. I don't think that at all. I, his brain may be fucking broken. Like, honestly, I mean, he's done some weird shit, man. Like, a very concerning. I actually feel like maybe, I don't even know, like very, very strange. Um, you know, I feel like if he'd have been doing that that type of thing all throughout, he wouldn't have made it. Like, right. we didn't hear about that stuff, which it's possible he was doing crazy shit, but we didn't hear about that's possible, right? Because he wasn't as famous or whatever. But I also believe, like, he, was, he wasn't, like, some pedigree high draft player. Like, he came kind of from nowhere, small college. Like, if he was doing all this wacky shit, he wouldn't have made it. So I have to feel like at some point he was – normal or whatever like i don't fucking i don't doesn't make any sense like that he is this crazy so 
maybe he turns that around. I have no idea. The, the whole the whole weird thing is like let's imagine for a second that Antonio Brown had no weird off field mental issues. You'd be like, it's fired up about this guy for another two three years, right? I think so. I think so. <laughs> and That's it's what I'm still a question mark in my because I still can't commit to it. Even take away all of the other stuff because yeah, That's what I'm talking. fucking neither of us are obviously you know psychiatrists or anything of the like. So I don't know uh, about any of that. And and you still do have to kind of factor it into your decisions. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's it's, it feels gross to do, obviously, but you do have to do that from a fantasy perspective and, and think about, well, how long is he for the NFL this trip around? But if you take all that away and you just look at the physical production on the field, the target share increase is great. It's obviously a wonderful sign. I, but I wish that you saw better yield off of yes. that. Yes. Um, because then it would be no doubt in my mind, even with, you know, the too many miles to feed argument that we hear all the damn time <laughs> about teams. You know, Mike Evans is there who looked great. Uh, Chris Godwin has been shakier, but still capable. Uh, Gronk is kind of an afterthought for right however, now. However, when the game is on the line, you got to go to Braid on the scene. Oh, I mean, it's textbook. Right? I mean, when you got Gronk, you got AB, you got Godwin, you got Evans. Line them up, yep. shred them down the seam, and hit break. That's the way to go. That's the way to beat them. What the fuck? Anyway, just, I'm sorry. Just, I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> no, I just love that that is a thing that happened uh, in the real NFL. Yep. But yeah, so you got all these guys, these quality guys. Bright, of course, right up at the top with the rest of them. Right. And, uh, and so... Uh, it, how much faith can I put into AB from a dynasty perspective? It's still not a lot. No, it's I still don't. not. So hold him for this season, I guess, because yeah, it's he could become consistent just in terms of a target share. And so why not have that as your wide receiver four, which he is on your team if you held on to him? Yeah. Then that's fine. But for next year, I'm skeptical. Uh, me too. Me too. I am totally skeptical. I have him in a in a number of leagues where you know he was free ninety nine and. You know, I was able to kind of grab him here and there, and I never paid up for him. I think at the height of everything, when I thought he was going to be something, I said, you know, the highest I'd pay was like a second-round pick, which I think probably would have netted him. And you could probably have gotten him for less. And when I say less, probably not a third at any point. I don't know, probably at some point when he was, you know, throwing his baby mom out of the street and the cops were at his house, and he was like, holy shit, this guy is something. I think at that moment, a third might have got him. But, you know, point of the matter is is that he was pretty gettable. And, you know, I picked him up on waivers in a few leagues. I picked him up, you know, just sort of in late in, in, in startups this offseason. And, you know, you just sort of see him at the bottom of your bench and go, oh, that's cool. I have Antonio Brown. Like, you know, right? You just sort of keep playing fancy football. And you just happen to have him. And now he's playing and you're like, and now I'm like, oh, I, I'm starting Antonio Brown. Uh, in some of the flex spots, I'm like, you know, deeper leagues, right? You know, you're like, oh, look, he scored 15 points or 13, whatever it was this week. He had eight catches. Like, huh, well, that's kind of cool. Right. How long is that going to happen? Pleasant you know? surprise. <laughs> right. It's literally like, well, that's fucking cool. And and I'm so now it's like, okay, well, what is, do the wheels fall off? Does he start showing, like, remember Antonio Brown? Remember that guy? Like, does he start doing shit like that? All of a sudden, like, you know, they played two kind of tough teams, New Orleans and the Rams. They played Carolina 
in between, which should have been maybe a little bit whatever, right? So they've uh, kind of played a tough schedule. Carolina actually shut out Detroit, which what the fuck, Detroit? Um, you get shut out in this in twenty twenty. You get shut out by Carolina. <laughs> like holy shit! How does Matt Patricia not get fired? Like literally at the end of that game. Like if you're the owner, aren't you like, oh, it was a good game, man. See you later. <laughs> No, because he keeps this handkerchief in his pocket that Belichick had blown into once. And so oh, he yes. shows that to everybody now and says, you can't touch oh, me. Shit, that is a Belichick hanky. Yeah. Like, hey, keep going. Keep yeah. going, Chief. We'll give no, you another eight years. <laughs> it's unbelievable. What was I talking about, Antonio Brown? Holy mm-hmm. shit. Um, so I, I just wonder, like, you know, what will happen? And, like, like if you told me – Oh, he, there's another rape story about something or whatever, and he's out of the league forever, and he's you know forever, he's just banished. Next week, I'd be like, no, that makes sense. And if you told me next week he goes for ten for one eighty two and two touchdowns, I'd be like, that makes sense. Like I believe anything at this point. You know, he's just at that point where, and I don't know what to make of it. So therefore, I don't know what to tell someone to do. I guess I'm happily riding him where I have him because I, you know, nobody's knocking on the door. Let's just put it that way. For sure. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, Antonio Brown, smoke him if you got him. <laughs> um, you know, one of my uh, one of my victory laps uh, is is sort of the tight ends. And, you know, I was fading Hayden Hurst. I was fading Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby uh, was the consensus fantasy pros tight end seven before the season. Wanted. That's true. That's real. That really was the truth. Tight end seven fantasy pros consensus rankings. Tight end seven. Tyler Higby. Get the fuck out of here. Honestly, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Like, because he put together six games out of 48 in his career that were, that doesn't even make any sense. Anyway, so Tyler Higby, I was, I was just praying that when I was looking for some tweets from you that I'd find some positive Tyler Higby's. But actually, you actually called yourself Switzerland when it came to Tyler Higby. So, bravo, sir. Way to, yeah. way to stay on the sideline with Tyler Higby. <laughs> Look, it was one of those that there was no way I was going to be able to justify a stance for or against him. Because it's what – and my, my co-host was a big Everett guy. And he, yeah, he, he was he, he Higby. Faded, yeah, yeah, I saw that. And, I mean, not like Everett's really worked out either, but uh, he had the right idea in, in fading Higby, obviously. My take was always, well, look, you're going to look at those stats from 2019, and you're going to see those first eight games where he did nothing, and then Gerald Everett gets hurt, and then he does things and continues to do them after Everett comes back. And so you're going to form one of two opinions in your head, and it's all narrative-driven. It's, is this now the new normal? Has he overtaken because Everett came back and Higby's still doing this? Never mind that Everett could have still been injured dealing with that. And the, or the other take was, nope, Everett's his guy. It's it's the coaching staff's guy. So they're going to go back to him and, and keep that good times going from the draft. And either way, I think you were going to come out a loser. And that's kind of what happened here. So, yeah, I didn't have a firm opinion on either of those guys. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, they've, you know, Higby has been the, you know, the better sort of tight end asset, I guess, over Everett. You know, he's outsnapped him and all that sort of thing. But I was just, I, I you know, look, at the end of the day, I, I didn't think that specifically Higby would bust. I wasn't like, he'll definitely bust. I just felt like 
when you're drafting him at tight end seven, that means that you're drafting him in what, like, you know, round like seven or something, right? Like pretty early, like in a redraft, like what, what, what the fuck do I want to do that for? Like, I don't want to do that at all. I'm taking him above even some of the guys like Hooper and Ingram and Henry. I'm not doing that. I don't even want those guys either because those are too expensive. I don't want to take those guys. I was taking Janu and Hawkinson and Goddard and Irv Smith and Jarwin was a big one for me. Like, But they were all much later. You know, Even a guy that I threw off a bridge and Mike Gesicki, I'd rather have him <laughs> later than the Hurst-Higby situation. I just didn't see it. Everybody penciled in Hayden Hurst for the Hooper role which he's actually been better than I thought he was going to be. But again, not worth the investment when you had Hawkinson, who's now the tight end three or whatever he is, being drafted outside the top 12 tight ends. Hawkinson was my guy having Scott Fishbowl. You know, I, to me, that was the clear choice. And, and, and Goddard to some degree as well, though Goddard has that sort of tricky situation with getting sucker punched in the offseason. Did you see him get sucker punched in the offseason? Yeah, and I faded the hell out of him because of that. I was like, yeah. oh, I'll be able to get him uh, cheaper a few weeks in once he kind of works his way back into the offense. You can't trust a guy without uh, any uh, peripheral vision like that. It really bothered me that he didn't see that one coming, you know. Um, and he did get starched by, you know, just some drunk guy at a bar. I, You know, those are two red flags for me. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm only teasing, actually, uh, you know. They're not actual red flags in Dynasty, guys. <laughs> Although getting starched, really, you don't want to get starched. I mean, you can only take so many starchings in your life. And, you know, I think you get three. Becomes... Everybody gets three starchings. <laughs> gets three. But, I mean, it's kind of like in football, too. You know, only so many concussions. Basically, when you get knocked the bug out, you just got a concussion. Congratulations. Welcome to the world of, you know, unconscious concussion. And, you know, he got one. That's not good. You know, you don't want that. So, um, but, you know, that's not necessarily – it's a hard-hitting analysis right here. <laughs> this is just the, uh, the the wine talking at this point. But, no, I, I think it's like, you know, those were so so easy. Um, now I think it's time to look at, like, some of the some of the late-season tight ends that, that, um, that you can start to pick up in Dynasty. So what ends up happening is if you're in Dynasty um, – you're you're probably out of it. So I, I've been making these transactions like, um, you know, uh, I, I forgot who the hell I just dropped. But, you know, even a guy like Rex Burkhead just got hurt. Like you can comfortably drop him from your roster. You, you know, obviously if you have empty IR, you can go ahead and, and do that. But, you know, if you need roster space, you know, guys like that, Adrian Peterson, if you haven't already traded his ass, you can comfortably drop him for a, a better, you know, player that might actually do something next year. You know, Adrian Peterson likely to retire. Um, even if he doesn't, he's going to latch on as a backup. So he's worthless, you know. He's yep. been kind of, you know, handcuffy and whatnot. If you're competitive, I guess, in a dynasty league, they're so deep you kind of have them, but you don't want him. And so if you're not competing, you definitely don't want his ass. So if you can't trade him, drop him. Like, And so I, I, I want to share, you know, a little – uh player that I think is a sneaky ad, and that's Max Williams, the tight end in Arizona. He was hurt, um, and, you know, since uh, since coming back, he's kind of he, – he's in week 9, he ran 12 routes. In week 10, he ran 16. In week 11, he ran 21 routes. So Max Williams was sort of a, um, you know, a, a, a high recruit, uh, both out of, you know, college into the NFL. I think – 
there may be just something a little bit about Max Williams I would look for. Uh, Arizona doesn't really utilize the tight end, but in their defense, they don't really have a tight end. It's been Dan Arnold and some other guy, Daryl. Daryl, I think it's Daryl Dawkins. No, I'm joking. That's a guy from the 80s basketball. <laughs> so it's Daryl Dawkins and uh, Dan Arnold. I can't remember the guy's name. But regardless of what his name is, he's toast now because since Max Williams has come back, it's been Dan Arnold and Max Williams. Uh, and Max Williams is the guy who's starting to creep in there. And before he got hurt, I thought he was kind of a sneaky ad. And right now, if you know all your other competitors in a, in a dynasty league, if they're, com- if they're competing for a chip – their eyes are not on Max Williams, trust me. Um, and let me tell you, there's a very good possibility he is completely worthless for the rest of his career. But <laughs> it's possible, right? But at the end of the season like this, this is the type of guy you want to go try and acquire because he might be a starter next year in an offense led by Kyler Murray. So these are the types of players that I'm trying to win on the edges with. Go get Max Williams. Any thoughts? I don't, I don't hate that at all. I think tight end especially is one where it's – it's fine to take those shots on these guys. And Max Williams, I don't know, this is like, he's been in the league for a few years, so it's not like you're waiting on a like a natural breakout so much as you're waiting for the opportunity, which he could have, like you just talked about. So if he gets that prominent role there, why not? And I, I love fully, I'm all aboard, cut the dead weight if you're a non-contender, just do it. I know it's going to feel bad because this guy has weekly value right now and so it's like well i'm cutting points off of my team it doesn't matter you're not going to use those points this year you can't get them next year so do it another guy that's kind of like that this is definitely a dart throw though uh, yours at least has uh, there's a spot open right there is work that's available <laughs> kahale warring though i can't stop i can't quit kahale warring now second year tight end for houston who got hurt last year, got hurt this year, unfortunately. But the dude's measurables are just so fantastic. He was, uh, I think, round three draft pick last year. And he just, he has that exciting measurables. And he could also be absolutely nothing. But why the hell not pick him up? Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you, by the way. And those are the types of players you're trying to infuse a roster with. It doesn't matter. Look, you're almost trying to get rid of guys who are scoring points because you're trying to, Look, if tanking is not legal in your league, then you're trying to tank. And that means getting rid of players scoring points and bringing on Max Williams. He doesn't score any points. Kali Waring, not going to win a game for you. <laughs> so it's true. <laughs> Sound advice here from Jake and, Jake and Scott telling you guys how to not score points. Tune in next week when we tell you, right? So, but no, it's true. You are actually trying to not score points. Or if, if your league just allows for tanking, I guess. But even still, you don't want... To roll over to next year and, and hear news. Oh, Adrian Peterson retired. Oh, fuck. Yeah, great. Oh, I have him. Oh, drop. And now nobody's available. Like, you need to be thinking ahead and, and getting younger on that squad because, you know, you'd rather f- try and strike lightning in a bottle, even with just one guy. Even if you can, you know, Max Williams doesn't work. Colin Warren doesn't work. But this other nobody you picked up becomes Robert Tanyan next year. Because let's face it, Tanyan came from nowhere. Um, and someone had him on their roster and was like, oh, shit, look at that. You know, so uh, when you're in deep leagues, you definitely want to try and grab these types of players. I, it, it does depend on league size. But most of you guys listen to this. You know, this is a dynasty show. Most of you guys are playing in pretty deep leagues, I would imagine. Uh, if not, go start a league with deeper rosters. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a league that I, I commission, and it's 35-man league plus a 10-man 10 t- 10 taxi. Uh, the taxi 
Yeah, so it's basically 45. I mean, it's 12 man. So, I mean, you're talking super deep. Uh, my brother's in the league, and he he he, uh, he scoured the waiver wire and found two points on the waiver wire that actually won him a, uh, the week because he won by one. And it was Samaje Pirine was just laying around on, on the waivers, picked his ass up, started him in his RB2 slot. Wow. And won. So – you know those are those are uh, those are pretty uh, pretty fun fun leagues where you know there's really no um, no waivers or anything. Th- those are the best, and you know that's where you're looking for the Max Williamses because you know there's nothing there anyway. But those are the those are the most fun. You know I don't like to have to drop players when I I really like them, but I need to do something just because I need to feel the lineup. The best thing about Dynasty is when you have enough room on your on your bench where. You can basically keep all your pet projects. You know, if there's someone you kind of believe in, you can keep them there because your starters and your bench and your sort of subs and your bi week fillers and your backups are they're up top of the roster and the bottom is those are your those are your bays, right? Those are your crushes. <laughs> For sure. So speaking of which, do you have any uh do you have any any crushes that are like guys that are like, you know, what what would they call it? You're a truther? Any any anybody? I know there's gotta be somebody. I mean, are we talking deep, or are we just talking just general? You can, you can go both ways. Like, give me a deep one. Give me a give me a whatever ones you got. Well, truly, I mean, aside from Warring, who definitely fits that bill for me, because I I get Gaga for tight ends with those kind of metrics. I just do. I can't help myself. I know he doesn't have the experience, but I'm I'm still into it. I think another deep guy that I still really like is. I don't know why I'm circling tight end so much, but Foster Moreau. And mm, it's for a similar Foster. reason, but the opportunity is 100% for the taking if certain things go a certain way for Darren Waller. Now, obviously, Jason Witten being out of the picture is a little bit of clarity that was helpful. Uh, it's not everything, of course. Not like Witten was stealing you know, targets upon targets here. But Moreau, last year, I thought he flashed. He looked great. I think, again, the measurables are crazy good. Again, the draft capital is there for them. I really think if he didn't have that injury last year, I think we'd be singing a different tune um, about him and Darren Waller right now. He just looks so good. So I'm willing to wait as long as it takes for Foster Moreau to have that breakout. But I, I really feel like it's coming. You said with Witten out of the way, do you just mean next year or did something happen to Witten that I didn't know about? No, I just just next year, just in general, yeah. there's no way that he comes in. Oh, I hope, I hope there's no way that he comes back next year. Because when you said that, I was like ready to go pick up Foster Moreau in a few leagues. Because oh. I think, I think that Witten did box him out a little bit. He had a few a few games last year. Foster Moreau, I'm with you on Foster Moreau. He he looked the part, especially with Waller, because Waller it was kind of the I don't know why they went and got Witten to to, to block Moreau because Waller lined up outside a lot. Like I mean. Uh, I'll actually give you the data on Waller uh, where he lines up because he lines up outside a lot um, and probably even did so more often last year. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but uh, hold on. Let me pull this up because this is interesting. Uh, hold on. Almost there. I've got the uh, I've got the old uh, – I've got a Commodore 64. That's the computer I use. <laughs> Are you familiar with the Commodore? You got some Pong right. in the background there? I do. I, I'm playing Pong in the background on my Commodore. So he's lined up almost um, – look, he's lined up in the slot almost 100 times, 94 times, wide 100 times, in line 391. So basically, you know, 
200 times in either the slot or out wide and 400 times in line. So, you know, that's kind of a, a, a lot. Uh, two, you know, a, a third of the time, he's sort of more of a wide receiver than he is a tight end, right? That's a fair amount. Um, you know, so I, I think there's plenty of room for, for Foster Moreau. But unfortunately, they gave all of Foster Moreau's sort of snaps to Jason Witten. Um, yeah, that, I'm with you, man. And and I think if if you look at the way they've played, um, you know, Moreau's been at least as good as Witten. Although Witten did make a great catch in the end zone this past week. I don't know if you saw it. Um, it was great. It was uh, Carr was scrambling a little bit and had to buy time. And Witten made this catch where, you know, he was coming back to the – he was in the end zone coming back to the ball, but he had to stop short of the end zone line because he didn't want to catch it you know, in the field of play, he had to sure. catch it in in the end zone, and he was able to sort of just stop and use his body to shield it a little bit. Just made a hell of a play, touchdown catch. Uh, it sounds win. amazing. I'm going to refuse to acknowledge it because it's Jason Witten. <laughs> if it was any other player that made that, I would be. Oh, that's that's fantastic. I'm going to go look up that play. I refuse to look up that play. Don't look it up. Look, he did so very slowly and methodically. He did not do it with quickness and <laughs> athleticism. It was amazing. Like everything else, he just sort of jogged and you know waddled around the and that next thing you know he's catching a touchdown pass unbelievable i never understand how the hell he gets open so <laughs> it's unbelievable hey you know let let's let's call this one it's been long enough i've kept you away you you're on like podcast number three today you've just been potting all day on twitter yelling at people calling my favorite quarterback of all time a douche nozzle i i really you know called I'm him surprised. a douche baby to be fair yeah i forgot what you called him i've, I've already forgot douche baby he, you know I didn't like that so much, um, but uh, you know, I didn't mute you once as you thought I would. Not once, um, but I really had a good time talking with you. Um, tell everybody again where they can find you because they ought to. Uh, you should be following Jake on on Twitter. He's actually a really great follow. He's super fun on Twitter, and you know everybody loves him except me. I hate his guts because he says shit about Tom Brady. I knew I hated him. I forgot why. And now I remember. Um, so definitely, if you don't like Tom Brady which most of you don't, you can hop on, get with Jake, and have a hate Tom Brady party on Twitter, which those are fun. So at Jake Trowbridge. Trowbridge or Trow? You, uh, Trowbridge. You nailed it. Nah, I thought so. Trowbridge, um, which you know uh, you can find him on Twitter. And then check out his pod. It's actually pretty fun. I listen to it here and there. Obviously, only so much bandwidth, but I do enjoy it. Tell people about your pod. Yeah, so it's the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football Podcast. As we talked about at the beginning here, it, we just put it in the name. We just want to be as transparent as possible. We have a whole bunch of drinks and we have a whole bunch of fun talking about fantasy football. It's it's what we would be doing anyways if we didn't have microphones shoved in our face. So we just tightened it up a little bit and put it into a podcast space. But me and my co-host Dustin Lunt, who you can find on Twitter at FFDustyDog, uh, we have a lot of fun. We try and bring on a diverse array of guests just to get different perspectives. And sometimes it's silly and sometimes it's a little bit more insightful, but we have a good time doing it. Nice. Well, I love it. I loved having you on. I look forward to having you on again. Uh, we do a lot of fun pods where, you know, this was kind of a one-on-one. I'm glad to have you in here and, and pick your brain a bit. I think we did, uh, you know, we definitely helped uh, some dynasty players, you know, avoid Antonio Brown going forward, which I think is going to be really helpful. Uh, no, I'm just teasing, but had a lot of fun. But we do a lot of other fun things, you know, where we'll do like little mock drafts and stuff like that. So we'll have to have you back on and, and let you be a part of that because uh, 
you know, your personality comes right through, man. It was a lot of fun to have you. I appreciate that. This was a lot of fun. Uh, sincerely, this was a blast. I appreciate you being the bigger man, or, or at least forgetful enough to bring me on to the podcast here. Next time, let me know. Give me a week advance, and maybe I'll soften up on Tom uh, in advance of that show. That's no, all right. He deserves it. He's a traitor. <laughs> He's no longer a Patriot. You know, I mean, you know, Cam Newton so much better than Tom Brady ever was for sure, obviously. I mean, total system quarterback that Tom. Get him out of town. <laughs> I'm glad you're seeing things from my perspective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just wait till um, Aaron Rodgers is 43 and see how many touchdown passes his ass is throwing. Ugh, no thanks. It's, it's, it, it is crazy, though, to think like, you know, next time you're having fun and this is for the for the viewers at home. Go hop on, uh, you know, any sort of stat, you know, thing and just sort of look at 42 years old and older uh, quarterback production and you're going to find just one player because no one has ever done what Tom Brady's doing. You know, there's guys who played, but they have like 400 yards or some shit, you know, like no one has ever done what Tom Brady's doing. So it's pretty much remarkable. But, you know, at the same time, he is throwing fucking ducks to Cameron Brait up the scene for up the scene for the game. So obviously he's lost it a little bit. He's senile is what he is. He fucking he thought it was Gronk. It was like shit. He didn't know it was fourth down the other day. I mean he is completely I'm telling you, he's too old. Like listen to me. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm the same age as Tom. We don't know what the fuck we're doing. We're we're over the hill. It happens to the best of us. All of us are going to be in his shoes. So I only hope that he is more yeah. kind to me if he ever sees me out and about at that age. Yeah, we're all going to be multimillionaires with a wife who's a, you know, the, the a world class model who makes millions of dollars as well. No doubt, we're all going to be in his shoes. I can see it coming. We got it. We got it, Jake. All right, man. For everybody here at the Undrafted, which is basically me and Jake and Kane and the producer. Thanks for tuning in and adios.